Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We're going to start a new series. Are you guys tired of 1 John? You're like, is he going to really preach out of 1 John again? No, no, I'm not. I am going to preach out of John today. Uh, I'm just stuck. I'm just stuck on John and his life and all that. Um, what I want to start with is many of you know this church is beginning Alpha as a church in just a few weeks. And if you don't know, this is your notice, we're beginning this thing called Alpha in a few weeks as a church. And, and one of the cool things, if you're not familiar with Alpha, Alpha is, this, is, is intended to be a, a, a method for people who don't know Jesus to engage with the person of Jesus and the basics of faith in Jesus and to be able to bring their questions and to bring their thoughts and their ideas and their concerns and air those. The, the Alpha is this, this uh, 12, 12-week, 10-week program that we, that we will run that makes space for people who are outside of faith in Jesus to ask their questions to, to state what they believe to act, without feeling like they have to like cover it up or pretend like that's not what they believe. So Alpha has been around the globe uh, widely successful at seeing people explore faith and come to faith in Jesus. And so maybe the question you would ask is why run it as a church? Like why run it as, uh, you know, we would make the assumption that many of the people here already have faith in Jesus. And so you might say, well, why would we do this as a whole church? Why not just sort of like put it off in a corner and make it the evangelism center of the church or like try to like, you know, just you know, put a banner out by the road and just have people come to a group once a week? Why would we do it as a whole church? Well, let me answer that question for you. <clears throat> what we've realized over the past couple of years of uncertainty uh, is that people are open right now more and more to asking and seeking uh, answers to the deepest questions of life, right? That the truth has sort of just gone on a, a hiatus and everybody's looking for it. And so we're in an odd space culturally where people uh, are looking for the answers to the deep questions of life. Here's the problem. In the past, people would come to church when that happened. It's like, well, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with the world, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with my life, what's wrong with my relationships, what's wrong with the country, the world. I'm trying to figure out the answers to the deepest questions. And historically, they would come to church. I remember one such time, 2001. Some of you weren't born then. Um, Let me give you a little history lesson. Um, 2001, September 11th, I was in school to be a pilot. um, And I woke up, as many of you did to the just tragic news, right, of September 11th, 2001. And so I was working, you know, we didn't fly, like, for the next almost month. Um, And so I went to work. I was a server at a restaurant called Garfield's. If you've ever heard of it, you color on the table, you know, one of those things. I went to to work as, as a server, and I showed up, and of course, September 11th, 2001, nobody was going out to eat. So there was just a group of us standing there, right, at the hostess stand, and just sort of like, can we go home? Like, what's the deal? And my manager kept saying, we just should all be in church. 
At a time like this, we should all be in church. We really need to like get back to church. And she wasn't, so far, so far as I knew, was not a person who would call herself a Christian. But she just knew that the, the world had been turned upside down. We should find our way back to church because church has answers for us. That's the way it used to be. You guys remember that? Like when the world was upside down, we're like, let's go to the church. But due to a lot of our own sort of shooting ourselves in the foot, over the last 20 years, we've sort of not become the place where people go for answers anymore. And so one of the things that we discovered, though, is that people are still open to the answers involving faith in Jesus. That's good news, right? Like people are still open to the idea that Jesus offers hope, offers answers, offers the, the answers to the deeper questions. On the one hand, people are pursuing truth. On the other hand, they're not going to come here to get it. And we're sort of faced with a little bit of a problem. I think it's an opportunity. You can call it a problem if you like. But the opportunity is, if we find people out there who are interested in asking and answering the deeper questions of life, they're willing to hear what we have to say. But as the church so often, we've sort of you know, we've just been like, get people to come, right? Isn't that the sort of the thing? You, you get them in the room, I'll win them to Christ, right? Isn't that the agreement that every church made for the last 20 years? Like, we'll just turn them over to the professional holy man, right? But what the opportunity exists for us is to become people who could, in a winsome way, share faith in Jesus. And so what we discovered is that if we train people who follow Jesus to experience and answer a lot of the questions that people have, we might actually still see this be an awakening in our nation, that people would come to faith in Jesus. And so this fall, we're going to run Alpha as a church so that we all can answer the questions everybody around us is asking. But as good as Alpha is, and I think it's really good. I think it's really good. I mean, I've never created anything that good. As good as Alpha is, a program is never the solution. It's never going to do everything. It's not going to be the complete solution to the problem, right? It's something deeper than that. We need more than just information to give to people. What we need is to discover that what Jesus offers is actually good news for us. That's actually beneficial to our lives. That we're not trying to sell something that we're not also eating. Does that make sense? And so before, everything in me wants to go, all right, let's go invite people to think. But here's the deal. If we're not people who already see the good news as good news in our own lives, it's not going to be good news to anybody else. Jesus actually is good news. And so the invitation of this series is to come and see. We actually want to be people who are not going, here's a good option for you to try, but a people who are like, come and see what I've experienced. When you look cover to cover through Scripture, you look all through the Gospels, what you see is people who have experienced the goodness of God so much that they can't help but offer it to other people. And so that's the idea behind the series. We're going to begin this series today as a two-part message that I'm going to finish next week. You guys did not want this as a one-part message, I'll just tell you. We're going to look at John chapter 4, and, and the two-part message is the first 42 verses. So you didn't want me to read 42 verses to you, and that's, that's okay. So we're going to start today, we're going to look at verses 1 to 26, 
And then we're going to finish next week with verses 27 to 42. And I'm calling today's message, Encountering Jesus Transforms You, dot, dot, dot. Encountering Jesus Transforms You, dot, dot, dot. And you all know that the dot, dot, dot means to be continued, right? So let's pray, and then we're going to look at John chapter 4. Would you pray with me? So Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge that you are present and you are active. And Jesus, you do invite us into deeper intimacy and deeper relationship with you. And so God, I pray that I would communicate clearly what your invitation is. God, that you would fill me with your spirit. God, would you put your words in my mouth? And I pray that you would open us to encounter with you, Jesus. And we pray it all in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to look at John chapter 4, because I just, I just can't quit John, you know? Two people laughed at that. That's okay. A couple more chuckles. If I stand here long enough, maybe three more people will laugh. John chapter 4, with my new glasses. All right. Verse 1 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. This sort of sets up this story, right? So Jesus is like leaving the south part of Israel and headed to the north part. And there's this little part, Samaria, right in the middle. And so you kind of have to go there. You have to go through there, right? Like you can't get from like, you know, here to Williamsport without going through State College, right? Has to go there. Gets, he gets hungry, gets tired. It's noon. It's hot. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water being running water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? You guys see what's happening here, right? Like, she thinks he's talking about, I got some other spring someplace. It's like this sort of confusing thing. He's sort of like being really like poetic and spiritual, right? Like, I would have given you living water. And she's like, it's in the ground, and you don't have a bucket. Where do you think you're going to get it from? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She's like, what? Really? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She thinks she's getting out of work. Do you see the confusion that's happening here? He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. That's a weird turn. Woman, Jesus replies, replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. If you grew up in and around church, you probably know that the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans is not very good, right? I mean, if you think about the, the, the guys by the side of the road, Jesus is like, and it was the Samaritan that helped him. You sort of know like that something's not right between the Jews and Samaritans. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you read this story and you kind of go, something's not right. These guys, there's some problem between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it's evident that they don't like each other. But if you don't know why the relationship is amiss, you're going to miss what I want you to see. See, the Samaritan people were a part of the nation of Israel originally. So whenever they settled in the promised land, there were 12 tribes settled this land of Israel. The Samaritans were part of that group of people. They were God's chosen people. And then some of you will remember that Solomon built the temple. And shortly after Solomon built the temple, Israel sort of fractured into two kingdoms. If you're real well-versed in your Old Testament, you'll know about that. So there was a northern kingdom called Israel. There was a southern kingdom called Judah. And so these two kingdoms existed separately for around 200 years. And then God said, you all have not acted as my, as my people. You've not represented me well. I'm going to bring judgment on you. And the judgment that he brought was, was, uh, became known as the exile. Now, the exile happened in two parts. It happened in the northern kingdom first. And it was a group called the Assyrians in the, who, who showed up, defeated the northern kingdom, grabbed all of the people of influence and all the powerful people and the leaders, and sent them out across the Assyrian empire. And in the void, they just sort of left all of the regular people, like me, and they sent in Assyrians to intermarry with the people who were left. And so all of this northern kingdom of people sort of married people who were not Jewish, which was a big no-no. And in marrying people who were not Jewish, what it, what it meant was they also adopted foreign gods. And so this happened first, and then the southern kingdom began, was exiled. But when the southern kingdom was exiled, the Babylonians just basically relocated them. So they stayed as a community of Jewish people, but the community of Jewish people then had to be Jewish elsewhere. So in, around, in the mid-500s BC, all of these people came back into the land, okay? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, all show up back in the land, and the southern kingdom people were like, you guys are sellouts. You guys adopted other gods. You guys married other people who were not Jewish and adopted their gods. You sold out. You are half-breeds. 
You're not even pure-blooded Jewish. And so animosity began to grow. Now, the people of the northern kingdom, the Samaritans, held to the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Pentateuch. So they held on to that, but what they lost was the rest of the Old Testament, which was the story of the, 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 uh, the southern kingdom, which is sort of their experience going to exile, their experience coming back. And so when Jesus says, you guys worship what you don't know, we worship what we do know, what he's saying is, we have the whole story, you guys sold out. That's essentially the, the issue between the two. And so the issue is really, really theological. It's like, we are the people of God, you guys are not exactly the people of God. And so that's the big issue here, and the reason that that matters is because if you look at the context of the story, this story happens in a Samaritan land with a Samaritan woman, which the Jews said Samaritan women were unclean from birth. This happens in the most unlikely place. Like if a Jewish person was going, I'm going to try to create an example of the most unholy place that you would never expect to encounter God, this would be the scenario they would create. And yet this is exactly where Jesus shows up. And the point I want you to see is every moment has the potential for encounter with Jesus. Every moment. If Jesus shows up to a Samaritan woman, the most unholy, farthest away spot, what that means is Jesus will show up anywhere. Which means it doesn't matter where you are or what kind of people you're around, the potential exists to have encounter with Jesus. I mean, think about, think about what that, the implications of that in your life. Because here's what we tend to do, right? We tend to sort of create spaces where we believe Jesus will be, right? We, we, we say, well, Jesus exists here, right? He shows up on Sunday morning. He comes to church too. He's a regular attender, like, and that's like every week, right? He sh- Sorry, snarky. He, sh- he shows up... To, to church every week, right? So Jesus belongs in church, and Jesus belongs in my de- devotional time, right? Like every morning when I open the Bible and I sit down and read, and that Jesus belongs there, and Jesus belongs in my life group. And so when our life groups get together, like Jesus shows up there, and in our minds, we create a wall, and we say Jesus will be here, but he won't be here. We never would say Jesus is not in other places, but we sort of train ourselves to only see Jesus showing up at church and in our life group and when we read the Bible. And over time, what we discover is we've we've walled Jesus off and we said, well, this is the sacred part. The rest of this is secular. And what ends up happening is because we've trained ourselves not to see Jesus showing up in other places, in all the places of our life where we need him to transform them, we don't see him. I mean, think about it if you're a parent, right? If you're a parent, parenting is a hard thing to do, right? Especially if you want to do it the way that God would, would want you to do it. If you'd like to be faithful as a parent the way that God would invite you to, it's hard to be a parent. And it's a space I think a lot of times we find ourselves going, I don't know how to do this, right? We find ourselves struggling and going, God, you're going to have to show up. 
because otherwise I'm going to mess these kids up. But we've trained ourselves not to see Jesus showing up in our parenting. Or think about the other places. It's all the places that we pray about, right? Like, I've gone to school and my classmates are the furthest from Jesus. I have teachers who are trying to teach me the opposite of what faith in Jesus teaches me. And it feels like a very pagan place. And I don't know how to do this. And I need Jesus to show up, but we've created a wall. And in the spaces that we actually need Jesus to transform the space, we've trained ourselves not to see him. Or think about your workplace. My boss is cruel and my coworkers hate me. And they're very ruthless toward me. And I need Jesus to show up, but we've trained ourselves not to see him there. The fact of the matter is, God is always active in places long before you got there. There's no place in your life that God doesn't want to partner with you to see the world transformed. But if you train yourself to see him only in a few places and not everywhere, what you'll find is you feel very alone. And Jesus doesn't want you to be alone. Jesus is active in a lot of places. What scripture teaches us is that there's not like one area of your life that God's not interested in. Not one area. He's interested in being a part of all of it, which means every moment of your life has the potential to be an encounter with Jesus. Do you know that? That you can encounter Jesus here just as easily as you can encounter Jesus going up the escalator at the mall. Why not? Right? And if this passage teaches us anything... It shows us that Jesus tends to show up in places that we don't expect, right? Don't we sort of have expectations? Jesus is allowed to do things here and not here. But Jesus shows up in places he's, we don't really expect him to show up. And the fact of the matter is, he, resol- he reserves most of the, the most powerful encounters for places where people say he shouldn't go. You know, Jesus is always hanging out with the wrong people. Always. I would say the vast majority of the church in America is far more concerned about their own reputation than Jesus ever was. We are far more concerned with, oh, if people see me around that person, (laughs) what would happen? They might think something of me. And Jesus goes to the places. He's standing here talking to a Samaritan woman. There's only a couple of reasons someone might be talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. And they're not really all that holy. He goes places that we don't think he should go. He has conversations with a a woman with a checkered past. Listen, Jesus could have walked into into town with his disciples and gone, you know, they're going to get food. They're going to be around all the, you know, the big people in town. And if he wanted to, to have a really big audience, he could have walked into town with them and, you know, healed a few people, you know, cast out a few demons, preached the kingdom of God. And had a huge impact. Win so many people to himself. And he's already baptizing people. That's what the beginning of the passage says. Right? His disciples are baptizing people into the name of Jesus. Could have won a whole bunch of Samaritans, but he doesn't do that. He sits there and waits for a woman who has a really checkered past. And she becomes the person, by the end of the conversation, who finds out first that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus goes the places he shouldn't go. 
Listen, my hope is always that you encounter Jesus here. Like I hope every Sunday you show up and Jesus meets you. And that it's a transformative encounter. And you know what? God is so gracious that every week I hear about people who have encounters with Jesus here. And it's amazing to me that he continually just keeps showing up and having encounters with people. But I also know that if you want to see the most powerful encounters, if you want to see the most frequent encounters, you have to go be among the people who are on the margins, among the people who the church typically doesn't want anything to do with. Because all through the Gospels, that's where the cutting edge of the kingdom is. The kingdom breaks out. Healing comes to people who don't deserve it. Deliverance comes to people who aren't even asking for it. Someone else is asking for it. My kid is demonized, and the kid's not asking, but he gets set free. Jesus all the time is hanging out with the wrong people. And what you'll find when you get among the people on the margins is you find people who have, they're not offering any merit to have an encounter with Jesus. They're not saying, look how religious I am. Look how much I gave to the church. Look how many times I went to my life group. It's people who are not offering anything. And Jesus just encounters them. Jesus is always interested in people who are not trying to be holy enough to earn his grace. Always. We say that, I say all that, because I want to say two more things. Every moment has the potential to be an encounter with Jesus. And this story shows us that encounters with Jesus change us in at least two ways. The first way that encountering Jesus changes us is Jesus makes us feel seen and known. Look again at verse 16 with me. It says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. As this conversation moves on, Jesus has this moment where he sees into this woman's past. He has a prophetic moment, and he just speaks to her what he sees. And if I did that to you, if I just stood here, covered up the light so I could see you, and started to say, bring your husband. And you say, I don't have a husband. And then I say all the things that are true about you. What would probably happen is we would all cower in embarrassment, wouldn't we? Nobody wants everybody to know that stuff, right? All of us are sitting here going, I hope he doesn't do that. Right? You would think that her response would be to cower in embarrassment, but that's not her response. You know, she knows her story. She knows her history. The fact that she's showing up in the heat of the day at noon instead of in the morning or in the evening with the other ladies when it's cooler says everybody in town knows her history. They, she knows who she is. She knows that. But she doesn't run from him. Instead, she recognizes that Jesus is prophetic. And it results in her drawing close to him. Do you see that? She's drawn in to Jesus whenever he says, these are the things that are true about you. And this is what encounter with Jesus does. Even when Jesus points out the broken stuff in your life, if you've ever had this encounter, when Jesus says, hey, let's talk about that thing, 
Let's talk about the alcoholism that you have. Let's talk about the affair that you're having. Let's talk about the way you're stealing money. Let's talk about the way that you're being very dishonest. When Jesus talks about this, it draws us in because he doesn't do one that's like, you should feel shame, I'm accusing you, and here's condemnation for you. When Jesus puts his finger on something prophetically, he says, come, I can fix this. That's the invitation of Jesus. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he's inviting you in, and it draws us in, doesn't it? Have you ever had that moment where you're like, you're just sort of like in worship, and God's like, yeah, hey, you know, you're praying that, you're singing that thing about, you know, I lift my hands, and you won't put your hands up. What's up with that? You're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're right. You're right, you know, right? Or, or, or like, you know, any of the other things that you walk in with every Sunday? And Jesus goes, hey, about that thing. What's your response? It's always drawn in. He's never trying to drive you away. He wants to draw you in. You know, one of the most foundational needs that a human being has is to be fully known and fully loved, right? I've said this before. One of the most foundational needs that a human being has is to be fully known and fully loved. And yet the way sin has tainted the world, we experience fear around both of those, don't we? You're like, no, not me. No, let me tell you how you do. You ready? We fear that if somebody actually knows everything about us, that they'll reject us, don't we? We fear that if they could actually see our past, right? We show up to college, we get to discard our past, right? Nobody gets to know. We can be a new person, right? That's one of the things I loved about college. I got to be a new person. But we think, oh, yeah, that's all in the past. Nobody will know. We fear that if somebody knew, they would reject us. We fear that if somebody could see inside of us and actually know the way that we think about the world, that they would reject us. We fear that if they actually knew the way that I vote or the way that I believe, that they wouldn't like me, don't we? We live in fear that if we're actually known, that we won't be loved. And so what we do is we begin to display ourselves in a way that's not really who we are so that people will love us right? Don't you do this? Like, I don't know. You know, I never did like this band, but these people do. So if I say I like the band, they'll like me. You know, I really don't care for for jet skiing, but all these people, they're pretty cool. They like jet skiing. So yeah, I love jet skiing, right? And we begin to, and maybe it's, I mean, it's deeper things than that, right? Man, I'm hanging around all these really cool people, but they vote differently than me. I'll just say I vote their way and they'll like me. I'll say the things that make them feel comfortable. They'll like me. But what happens when you do that? You're building this false self out here that's not really who you are. And guess what? Everybody around you starts to love that person. There's one real big problem with that, isn't there? You already see it, right? Because it's not inside of you that you're watching this. The more people fall in love with this fake version of you, the more lonely you feel. And the more lonely you feel, the more you press into that, because I need to have these relationships, so I'm going to continue to pretend to be this person that I'm not. And people just love that person that you're not. And yet the shame grows, because I can't actually even really be that person. If people actually knew who I was, they would know that I could never be that person. And so the shame builds, and the shame grows. And the only way out 
is to tell everybody that you've been lying to them. But that scares you, right? Because if I'm fully known, they're going to reject me. So I keep building this wall and I keep building this wall. And every now and again, I reset, right? Like I just ghost all my friends, start over because these people don't know me, right? Don't we do this? Here's why, this is, why, why I'm saying all of this. The way forward is always encounter with Jesus. Because it's an encounter with Jesus where the God of the universe, who knows all the things about you, he knows all of your past, he knows all the ways that you think that are really messed up and twisted, he knows all the things that are going on inside of your head, and he says, I love you and I will die for you. That changes everything. That's fully known and fully loved. And it's an encounter with Jesus where you get that. And here's the significance of something like that. When you discover that you are fully known and fully loved by God, when you have this encounter with Jesus, it transforms you. It now makes you the kind of person who really doesn't care what everybody else thinks. And not in like a bad, like I'm just a jerk kind of way. But like, it doesn't matter if you like the real me or not. The creator of the universe loves me. Do you know that? Like, this is significant. Like, if I, I mean, I can't say this highly enough. This is like, this will change the entire outlook of your life. If you know and understand that the God of all things knows everything about you and loves you deeply, you get to actually be the person you were intended to be and not have to worry about making people like you. You can be vulnerable and honest with people. Turns out that's what makes connection with people real. And do you know what happens? Everybody's afraid of evangelism, right? Like we're all a little bit afraid to like, oh, share my faith. I don't know about that. I'm a little nervous. It's the most compelling way to invite people to Jesus because you give people hope that maybe Jesus will do that in their life. It's the stuff, all the work that we've been doing with Emotionally Focused, and you'll hear more about that coming up. Because here's the deal. Everyone around you is wrestling with the same issues. I mean, it may not be the same sin patterns, and you don't, they're not the same story, but everyone around you desperately wants to be fully known and fully loved, and they're wrestling with the same struggle that if you actually know me, you're going to reject me. And do you know what the beautiful thing is? If you know that God loves you and that you don't need their affirmation for you to be okay, do you know what happens? You can actually sit with somebody who's absolutely in a mess. You can say, but I will still love you. I will extend to you what Jesus has extended to me. I'll sit with you even though the world will judge you because I don't really care what they think about my reputation anyway. God loves me. Is that not good news? So encounter with Jesus satisfies our need to be fully known and fully loved. And I want to finish with this. The other thing this passage shows us is that encounter with Jesus comes with revelation and understanding. It comes with revelation and understanding. Look again at verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. Samaritans were also waiting for someone to come, not someone known as the Messiah. It was a prophetic figure like Moses. A prophet restorer is who the Samaritans were waiting to come. And so when she discovers Jesus is a prophet, she starts to go, wait a minute, he could be the one because he's a prophet. So she issues this little test to him. She sort of like wants to see what's in him, right? So she throws this little test out from this heated division between the Jews and Samaritans and said, where's the right place to worship? And she waits. And the question she's asking is, are you for us or are you for them? Are you for us or are you for them? Are you on the side of the Jews or are you on the side of the Samaritans? Isn't, don't we do this as a culture right now, right? Don't we wait to hear that like, oh, as soon as they talk about justice or mercy or racial equality, they got to be liberals and we got to reject them, Right? On the other side, as soon as we talk about our rights uh, with, with guns and our, you know, we talk about being pro-life, we, we write people off, don't we? And this is sort of what she's trying to do. She goes, she goes are you for us or for them? Are you going to side with them and say you've got to worship in Jerusalem? Or are you going to side with us and say that it's okay for us to worship on this mountain that we now worship on? And Jesus does what he always does. You ever watch Jesus answer a question? He never answers it directly, <laughs> right? I'm trying to like grow in the art of not answering people's questions directly. So uh, what do you think about coffee this morning? A man went out to a field. <laughs> Jesus just blows up the question. He doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say, yes, I'm for the Jews, or he doesn't say, no, I'm for you guys. He blows up the question. He says, I'm from the Jews, but I'm for everybody. And then he goes further and he says, you guys would say you worship on this mountain. The Jews would say you worship on this mountain. But a time has now come where where you worship doesn't matter. What matters is do you worship with your heart? Do you worship in spirit and in truth? Is your heart connecting to God? He blows up the question. And then he drops this giant revelation on her. He says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Now, I want to say something, and I need to make sure I'm really, really clear. I have learned this over the years, that where there's gaps, not everybody fills it in with trust. So I just want to say this. I believe that Scripture is the foundation that we build all of our belief on. Okay? We don't, we, don't, uh, we don't interpret Scripture through our experience. We interpret our experience through Scripture, right? Our experience doesn't replace Scripture. Our experience doesn't change Scripture. Our experience doesn't add to Scripture, okay? Having said all that, there are things that you cannot learn about God but by experience with Jesus. You just can't. There are things you cannot learn. Like, let's think about, let me give you a couple of examples. You can read from the scriptures, cover to cover, and discover 
that God is love, right? Over and over and over, the Bible says God is love. And so you can read the Bible faithfully every day of your life and discover up here that God is love. But it's an entirely different experience when you feel him draw near to you and take the weight of guilt and shame off of your shoulders and put on you a robe of righteousness and melt your hardened heart and pour his love in. They both teach you that God is love, but one teaches you something that the other does not. Let me give you another example. We can all read scripture and discover that God is a provider, right? God wants to provide for you, and God is a provider. And you can read the Bible faithfully every day of your life, and you will discover that the Bible tells you that God is a provider, and you'll have that. Right? But it's an entirely different thing when you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. And God told someone to bring you groceries. It's an entirely different thing whenever you don't, you don't have a functioning car. And somebody says, do you want this one? I feel like God's telling me to give you this. It's an entirely different thing when you're like, the bank account has run out, but the bills have not. Somebody says, God has told me to give you this check. Do I write it to you? They both teach you that God is a provider. But one teaches you something, the other does not. Let me give you one more example. You can read from Scripture that God gives gifts to those who are are, are followers of Jesus, right? By the power of the Spirit, God gives gifts. God gives healing. God gives prophecy, right? You can read that. And you can read the Bible every day. And at the end of reading the Bible every day, you will discover that God gives gifts to people. It's an entirely different thing when God drops something on your heart that's an insight into someone else's life. It says, would you go share this with them so that they know I see them? Both teach you that God gives gifts, but one teaches you something the other does not. Most of the time, these experiences bring life to the things you've read in Scripture, and these experiences forever alter your understanding of who God is and how God works. All the people I know who live the most interesting lives following Jesus live in regular experience with Jesus. They're faithful readers of Scripture, and yet they allow Jesus to bring life to the words on the page. I have yet to meet someone who's having any kingdom impact or any big kingdom impact who only studies Scripture without having a real regular encounter with Jesus. You can't just read the book. That's what Jesus meant when he said in John 5, he said this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And I'll say this and it might offend some of you, but some of you have lived your entire lives studying scripture diligently and you can quote page and verse very well. And it's commendable. It's like a really good start to read scripture regularly. But one of the things that you and God both know is that your life doesn't have the impact that God would hope. And I would like to suggest to you that it's not enough to just read scripture. That scripture points to 
a real encounter and a real experience with a real Jesus. Scripture is the menu. You don't go to a restaurant. We went to a Mexican restaurant last night. And they bring out the menu, right? Mexican restaurants have like a book, right? Everyone else now brings you a card that's laminated. Mexican restaurants, they bring you a book. Like straight from the 1600s. When you get the menu, you look at the menu, and the menu describes a meal you can have, an experience you can have, right? You don't get the menu and start chewing on the page you want, (laughs) right? The menu points to the experience that's available. In the same way, Scripture points to a life that's available in Jesus, It's not enough to just read this book. We read and live into this book. This becomes our story. We become people who are transformed because the fact of the matter is where we're headed, and I'm going to talk some about this in October. Where God is calling this church to go is going to require that we're people who regularly encounter Jesus, who are regularly transformed by Jesus, and who regularly have revelation and hear from Jesus. It won't be enough for us to just read the book. We're going to read the book and do the book. And I think that's the invitation to all of us. To be people who encounter Jesus and are transformed. Dot, dot, dot. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.